the beautiful game. Yeah. The beautiful game. Uh, I am one of those who uh, I readily admit that uh, always used the term soccer and then used it over and over and over again. And then at some point in my 30s or my early 40s, I decided that's disrespectful. It's football. Um, <laughs> that's what we'll go to. I want to talk a little bit about um, the, the game and the growth of the game sure. um, in our country, I guess, um, because it's you know it's ridiculous to talk about the growth of the game worldwide because really we're the ones lagging behind when it comes to this sport agreed now this has not stopped me before um yeah but this is certainly a topic of which i uh you know soccer or football mm-hmm. um is clearly not in my uh my personal it wheelhouse is? really well i did played, you never did you play i played when i was 7 right and that was it. See, I played quite a bit growing up, and I always remember that the thing about soccer was at that time. So we're talking about the early '80s, late '70s, early '80s. They were they could never wrap their head around participation and professionalism. That they didn't yeah. understand. Yep. It was so, even then the participation numbers were huge in this country, but we had a heck of a time getting a professional game going yep. we had a heck of a time yep. with our national teams it, it almost seemed like we were destined that this was never going to work now no, yeah but i i think part of the reason why you were asking me about this is you saw that i was posting that i was at the calvary fc game yep. um a couple about a week ago now i guess and it was outstanding i had a great time i loved i loved the atmosphere i loved the venue i loved the game itself and so just because i said i wasn't any good at it or i don't understand it doesn't mean i can't appreciate it no. um, or comment on it but i will i will share you with you one quick story that kind of perhaps uh illuminates my lack of knowledge as it relates to soccer and so then that'll kind of couch the rest of our conversation so in 1996 in atlanta at the paralympic games um those were the first paralympic games that i went to and my advisor at the time Bob Stedward, uh, yep. when I was doing my PhD, was the president of the International Paralympic Committee. So I had the opportunity to sit very close to the presidential box for the opening ceremonies of the Paralympic Games. And beside me was this gentleman who I kind of recognized, but I didn't really know who he was. Um, and I put out my hand and I said, hi, I'm David Legg and I'm from Canada. And he looked at me and he goes, oh, hi, I'm Pele. Um, I'm from Brazil. <laughs> and I, so I, then I looked at him and I said, Pele? I said, the soccer player. And he goes, well, football. Um, and then I said, you're pretty good, if I understand. And he kind of looked at me and he went, yeah, yeah, yeah I, I think I'm okay. Um, and so, yeah, so I hear I was sitting beside Pele and not having any idea who he was at the time. So I, I offer my apologies to all those football and soccer fans out there for that. I think it's priceless because uh, just further proof that you and I just dive into these things head on. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm nothing up my sleeves. My connection to soccer started in the late 70s when, as a member of the New York Cosmos, Pele came (laughs) to Edmonton to play the Drillers, uh, and I was in that crowd at Commonwealth Stadium. (laughs) I saw, I I mean, it was just a dot because we were so (laughs) far away, but uh, the New York Cosmos came to town, and Pele was with them and went and saw the Drillers, and it was, uh, Hmm. Commonwealth Stadium was nearly full, and uh, what has always stuck with me was what an exciting moment that was. And then a couple of years later, the drillers were playing out of Clark Field or whatever. And then right. not that long ago, you know, just didn't exist. And th- that experience of the drillers was always what kind of predicated me on the game in our country. Back to great participation numbers, but yeah. can't sustain it. 
And to watch, you're absolutely right that this conversation is born out of your social media. And, and you, I have not yet, you know, gone to a Cavalry game. I, I know Tommy Wielding Jr. I have so much respect for Tommy Wielding Jr. and what he has done mm-hmm. and his vision. And I, and I actually put a lot of the CPL at his feet. I think without, mm-hmm. you know, guys like him who, you know, finally took their time and didn't rush and try to make mm-hmm. the quick buck, invested in the mm-hmm. PEL, invested in a vision, got yeah. a building going. You know, I, I'm much more comfortable with the future of, of this franchise than I have been with, you know, so many different startups. Mm-hmm. And in full disclosure, um, speaking of the drillers, uh, for a season until the half a season until they folded, I was the voice of the Edmonton Drillers indoor soccer team uh, back in the fall of 2000. Your claim to fame. My claim the to voice fame. of the Drillers. And I got to tell you, indoor soccer is a lot of fun. Like, it, it's one of those ones that. I get it why the purists didn't like yep. it. I understand yep. all that. But, man, that game was... I saw so nice. a Drillers playoff game in Edmonton, indoor, yep. in the 90s uh, when got, I was a doctoral was, student. You there. got three three points for goals that were really <laughs> from the, you know, the other side of the rink sort of thing. Uh, it was just absolutely <laughs> wild. And, uh, you know, I've always loved it. And, and speaking of which, uh, the coach of... of that driller's indoor team was Ross Ongaro, who was a mm. member of that outdoor team and was one of the finer Canadian players in the late 70s, early 80s. And I, we, we spent many hours mm. talking about, you know, why. And, and, and this would have been the early 2000s. And, and Ross always pointed to distance, that this is such a big, vast country that it was always difficult to get the best players yep. together. And he was one of the first people I ever heard use the term hothouse. Hmm. And he wanted to hothouse uh, Canadian soccer players at a much younger age, get them together, let them grow up, you know, as 14, 15-year-olds and, hmm. and develop them that way. So um, always been fascinated by the sport. Um, I wouldn't call myself, you know, a diehard. Remember, I guess, 86, the last time, you know, a Canadian team played in the World Cup in Mexico. Um, and that was significant. Remember watching those games <laughs> and always do feel every four years like I'm missing out and something like I feel like <laughs> everybody else is having a party that you yeah. know, I'm not exactly invited to. I can watch from the outside, but, you know, don't get that opportunity to live and die. But I think that I don't know how you feel, but I, I think that's also one of the things that's always kept our game back was very few people ever felt allegiance to this country and always felt allegiance yeah. to the home country because yeah. the home countries were good. Yeah. And so. What would success do for the standing of soccer in this country? Mm-hmm. If, and, and now, I, I feel bad saying that because, of course, our women's team have done have been very well. But don't you think they don't you think they have a large role to play in the, the game elevating to the next level in this country? Oh, I, I certainly think that they have played a significant role in the profile of the sport as a whole. Yeah, um, I think it's put from, more pressure, quite honestly, on the men's game. I really perhaps, do. yeah. Yeah, I think I think there's an argument to be made for that. When does like the qualifications for 2026? When does that all play out? Um, so the next games so are in Qatar. Game in Qatar. So I think it would be the qualification would be just uh, now Qatar's the one that's going to be in the winter, right? Like they're changing right. the schedule on right. that. So I, I want to be so a that'd little be 22. Bit, yeah. So my guess is we're going to start getting you know, World Cup fever in 2023. Right. Right? Because then we have to go through all the different qualifications and all the different legs. But, and and how do you feel about them expanding the field for 2026? Like, as I understand it, 
we don't get the automatic berth because it's three countries. Right. The Americans and the Mexicans will likely be there anyway, but it is going to the larger field. So the expectation is it will qualify because of the larger field. I think the purists will poo-poo it initially, saying that it's watering down the quality of it. But I think that will be short-lived. I I mean, to me, the, the NCAA... March Madness tournament is is fantastic. Yep. I love the 64, and I love even that they would expand it even a little bit beyond that, the, right. the 64 plus, right. whatever it is. Right. Um, I think the, the the schools that you've never heard of and the underdogs and the upsets, that that's what makes it. It's mm-hmm. those first... It's the first couple of rounds, in my opinion, yeah. that are the, the best part of the entire tournament. Yeah. I think by bringing in some countries that perhaps have been left out in the past now, I, you could argue that that then waters down the qualification uh, process. I don't think it becomes as life and death. Yeah, but the actual tournament in and of itself, in yeah. isolation, I don't think, I think it, I think it gains, actually. I think it, uh, I think it benefits. Well, I think things like the Gold Cup and, and some of the, you know, the tournaments that the team would play in, um, you know, as a men, I think there'd be a, for me, there'll be a lot more attention in this day and age just because of the way the media is fractured, but the different outlets and the different yeah. sources, I think there'd be more attention on the men's side qualifying than yeah. we've ever seen before. It, it may make it tricky to host the event um, if you're expanding it uh, beyond the number of countries that are currently in it, just because of the number of venues that perhaps you have to have available, or you just extend it a little bit longer. But again, three countries are hosting, right? In this particular instance. Yeah. But, you oh, know, but moving beyond moving, that, yeah. Moving beyond that. And maybe that's the model that, that mm-hmm. FIFA wants. Maybe yeah. you know they're looking at... And we've seen that even, you know, in hockey, you've seen some of the world championships that have been split between yep. two countries. And Olympic and Paralympic Games are starting to look at that model, too. Oh, so, are they? Okay. Yeah, well, I, th- I think the, the Sweden bid for 2026 includes Latvia. Um, and I think other countries in the past have also proposed multi-country bids. So I don't, I don't think that's beyond the realm of possibility. I, so I like it. I love the idea of countries that perhaps have not been able to qualify having the opportunity to, but again, I also recognize that that then could potentially water down um, mm-hmm. the qualification process. Yeah, but I, I'm willing to take that if my country gets in. Well, <laughs> right? And I, and I think for those countries where the sport is still kind of on that cusp of, I don't know, viability or recognition, that, yeah, being, a, being able to get in to the dance, the yeah. game, the whatever you want to, whatever metaphor you want to use, um, I think is is really valuable. Uh, I, if Canada was to make the men's FIFA World Cup in 2026, I think that could be the transformational change for the sport in this country. But are we not the last of the modern, fairly big population countries to get there? Um, you know, I think your smaller nations, you know, your island nations and stuff like that still struggle to, you know, put enough players together, resources together. But isn't Canada, I mean, the U.S. really kind of made that investment almost three decades ago now. And not every, but are mostly there on international terms. And when they're not there at the World Cup, then there's, something's wrong, right? Yeah. Um, I'm just trying to think of, you know, other nations of similar ilk to Canada that who, who aren't participating you know, or haven't participated regularly. I don't know if there's that many. Yeah, I don't. I don't think India has good point. Re, you know, that's really bigger. taken yeah. on soccer yeah, or that's football. True. Yeah, China, um, but it's getting there probably pretty quickly. Yeah, um, Australia. The Socceroos have had a tradition of 
competing, although arguably through a weak qualifying. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the fact that you brought up the two most populous countries to refute my argument probably <laughs> I should just leave it here. I should just leave it here. But but I guess I was thinking more of the Western nations or the yeah. you know the mod. It, and it, it's funny you talked about the big four before. It, it, it no, I don't know if there's any place in the world that has kind of a false sense of their role in in sport than the North America because you know the Super Bowl is the biggest you know event. Well, in the when world. you think like like North America is funny in that sense because really the big sports in North America, with the exception of basketball, are pretty North American centric. Right. So, but um, basketball has been exported, right. Probably the best of them. Yeah, right? yeah. But baseball, I mean, yeah, it's played outside of the United States, but right. in a very limited right. way compared to the United States. Right. Um, American football is non-existent outside <laughs> don't, of. Don't tell the CFL that. Oh, well, They've been having those drafts <laughs> outside of North America in particular, and then the United States predominantly. Yes. Yes. Um, yes. And then hockey, I, yeah, arguably there are a number of kind of Western European nations that play hockey, but... Um, but again, export it. Yeah, right? and that's, you know, again, I would say that's small compared to the rest Absolutely. of the globe. Basketball is the one I think that you've just articulated is, has been exported um, on a global scale. Mm-hmm. Um, lacrosse as a sport really is a North American... It, like it struck me the year I lived in Australia in two thousand eight two thousand nine I think I think that really pointed out to me the difference you know Australia and Canada have very similar histories yeah um, similar traditions similar except as it comes to you know Australia is much more inclined towards a British model of particularly from a cultural perspective mm-hmm. whereas Canada is much more aligned with an American uh, U S based one and I so. and I was suspect, and I would suggest that. You don't, you see that in sport more so than any other uh, aspect, and so I, yeah, I think we're for whatever reason because maybe it's our own uh, arrogance in that we unless we invented it, uh, you know, I say we from a North American perspective, we're just not that yeah. interested in it. Yeah, what I don't know about Australia, do they have they have a, a national league, right? A national. They do, um, but I would still say it pales in comparison. It certainly did in 2008, 2009. It's probably changed in the last eight years. I mean, they have the four codes of football. Um, so there's soccer, Aussie rules, rugby league, and rugby union. And mm-hmm. I would say of those four, soccer was the fourth okay. at the time that I was there. I think okay. that's changed um, in similar respect to changing demographics and just um, and also the success of their you know, their national team, the Socceroos, I think has had soccer raise its level of profile. Now, having said that, though, I still think, you know, if you were to ask people what the sports are in Australia, soccer would be the one that perhaps people participate the most in at a grassroots level. But yeah. similar to Canada, it hasn't taken that next step from a profile perspective in the marketing, in the media uh, valuation perspective. Because we do tend to bounce into the realm of you know social media and the web and things like that is any sport benefited from the internet more than football internationally mm. uh, and the reason i say that yeah. is um it's it seemed to me that right away things like the premiership bundesliga syria yeah. a all became you know i just noticed it at work like oh hey i'm a premiership fan what yeah. like 
you know, I was right. a sports guy, and I, I thought, well, only I knew because, yeah. you know, <clears throat> but it just seemed, and then that translated into traditional over-the-top carriers. You now see premiership um, uh, rights deals or, yeah. you know, NBC, um, the local, or even the two networks here in Canada spend a lot of yeah. money on rights now. Which is not a resource or was not available to the yeah. premiership, you know, two decades ago. Well, and you're seeing a lot of the the premiership teams and the, uh, like a lot of the major European based teams are trying to get a foothold in a North American, mm-hmm. um, like uh, from an economic perspective, they want the branding. Yeah, um, they want Manchester United to be known as an entity here. Right. Um, and so I think I think you're right in that the internet and social media has allowed that. I, like I'm always fascinated when my students have a favorite team in the English Premier League. Yeah. Because um, my way of thinking is it still goes back to the Saturday morning soccer Saturdays, and yep. um, and there would be one or two games on, and it was only for the diehard, absolutely, uh, you know. Brits that yep. would watch, yep. um, but now you know. So uh, you know, the, the student of mine who took me to the game, the Calvary FC game, um, you know, I, he was wearing a jersey. I said, "Who are the chickens?" And he goes, "Those are the Spurs, you idiot." Um, <laughs> you know, and so again, the awareness of uh, and them cheering for uh, English yep. Premier League teams compared to again my generation is vastly different. And I would say that the internet has allowed that. To happen well, it certainly it, it it elevated the stars. You know, it gave international faces to uh, you know guys like Beckham and and others um, that you know just you talked about Pele. Pele was kind of the outlier yeah. prior to social media, yeah. but now there was you, you know I believe most of your um, top Twitter, social media, Instagram followers are you know international football players yeah. that. You know, again, you talked about China and some of the emerging markets do very well over there, too, and attract. Yeah. You know, and, and the other thing that, that I'm finding is, you know, we think of the NFL as big business, but you think of some of these soccer sides <laughs> over there, football sides mm-hmm. over there, like AC Milan and Barcelona. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the fact that they have North American headquarters, uh, one of them was <laughs> is right now trying to negotiate with the uh, Women's League to put a team in that they'll sponsor. But their problem is that their deal is with Nike, and <laughs> this league's deal ends with Nike this year. And they won't come into the league unless they get guarantees uh, that they okay. can remain a Nike team <laughs> because of the, you know, the business component to it is just mind-boggling. You know, uh, where they're connected. Well, and it's probably a bit like the wild. It's probably a bit of the Wild West for these oh. European franchises seeing the North American. Uh, marketplace as yep. open for business, right? And then it's just a matter of figuring out how to get a toehold in it. Well, Liverpool's playing uh, three exhibition games this summer, playing aside from I think aside from Spain, aside from Portugal, and aside mm-hmm. from Germany are coming over. But they'll play Liverpool, um, you know, which and we've seen that uh, you know New York, Chicago, yeah. Boston have played host to these you know sides, and I think they'd. I think the Cavalry would love to do something like that, bring over a, an English side, probably not a premiership side, but maybe a you know a second-tier mm-hmm. team to come over and train and play some friendlies and things like that. Uh, that, I think, would have a lot of appeal to, to fans over here to want exposure to that, right? Yeah. No, I agree. So, again, that Wild West opportunity, which is, I to me, so as a non-soccer fan, mm-hmm. but I am a, I am, I'm a fan of the... What's possible? Yeah, um, and I'm becoming a fan. So I shouldn't. I shouldn't say that actually, because I think part of it is just 
education, like most things, is and then once you. So I was asking, you know, that when I was at the game, um, I was asking lots of questions because uh, I just I didn't understand the nuance. And I think like most sports, until you really can understand the refined aspects of you know why something is happening or what that skill set truly is, it's difficult to really watch it with a right. Uh, you know, a, a perspective that allows you to get enjoy the most of it. Yeah, it's a different it's a different community too, isn't it? You know, it's sometimes as North Americans we kind of have to, you know, park our ways and means of beliefs. Yeah, to adapt to the way the sides are are viewed over there yeah. and how players. I, I you know because of my media background, I'm always fascinated by access and things like that, and and it's so limited and it's almost non-existent. The way that we get to cover an NHL team is not even close to how you cover a premiership side. Now, what do you mean? I, I don't... The access is just not there. You okay. just don't get... There's no going to, uh, you know, no going to a practice and just getting a couple minutes really? with... Wayne, you know, I guess Rooney's in the in the MLS now, but, um, hmm. you know, you don't... They don't just come over and... It's very limiting. It's very limited. Um, you know, um, it's very... It's a, just a different world to cover that sport as opposed it is to cover. And and quite honestly, I think the North American sports are beginning to go, they have it right. <laughs> you know, we'll limit access. We'll, and the other part of it too, David, that I think it's you know, worth mentioning is, and I kind of touch on it, but how much of the content is created by the players themselves over there and, <coughs> you know, and how much they are, you know, kind of their own brand ambassadors. Hmm. But no, there's no, you know, the, the, when they're – practicing there's no you know open uh, uh stands where the media just goes and sits and watches practice like we do here we take that for granted mm. we have incredible access uh, i think compared to the you know the better leagues and the higher mm. leagues in the world and what Im- but that doesn't seem to have had much of an impact on fan not at all loyalty either. no not at all not at all i again i think it's consumed mm. in a different way i think it's um y- you know i th- i would never want to talk in in definitives but i'm always left with the impression that if you grow up in a certain neighborhood your predisposition to be that team's fan base right and you know thou shall grow i don't know you know you go to a like the flames playing colorado there were a handful of people wearing abs jerseys right. there they weren't traveling from denver to be here there are people every day that in this city that right. are fans of all 30 other teams in the nhl i've never had that sense of European football that way. I think mm. your supporters travel very well. I think your hooligans definitely travel right. very well. But I, I don't know if I, you know, if I grew in and around up by Tottenham, that I would necessarily be, you know, a Bournemouth fan. Right. I, I don't get that sense, and I might be wrong. I'm distant to it, but uh, the fandom is so mm-hmm. different. I find uh, North America versus mm. Europe in that way. The other thing that I that I like about. Um, soccer fandom is that they will choose a team that's not even necessarily a division one team oh no <coughs> so their favorite team is from whatever town it is they're from and they'll yeah. say that that's their team yeah but and i and i'd be like well where like like what division they're not div three yeah um but it'd be like me saying that my favorite hockey team are the cochran generals in the junior b league yeah in yeah in alberta and and perhaps it is it is one of my favorite teams but uh, I, I would not, that would not be my go-to right away. No. I would say the Calgary Flames. Right. I would automatically go to the NHL. And maybe that's, you know, this whole idea of the relegation. Oh. 
um, is perhaps something. Because, again, that does not happen in a North American no, context. No, and, and <clears throat> you know, as a guy who did sports talk radio for as many years as I did, it was not uncommon every, you know, 15th caller would somehow reference that. You know, <laughs> that, ah, you know, they, they'd be relegated. We should have relegation. We <laughs> should have, you know, too many teams. I, 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 I'm fascinated by it. Um, as somebody who's now working in sports, you know, and selling tickets, uh, that scares me. You know, <laughs> it, it would absolutely scare me that, you know, okay, this year you're in the premiership, but, you know, you get some bad injuries and the team doesn't play very well, and all of a sudden you're at the bottom of the table, yeah. and now you're going to go down, and now what am I selling next year? Yeah. Am I, can I come to you and, and put you at the same price point? Do my price points drop? Do my sponsorship drop? Like that whole unknown. Um, but, but again, you know, we we've gone to the salary cap systems and we put those kind of yeah. things into place. There's no doubt, and and I know this is going to offend somebody, but there's no doubt there's the haves and the have-nots over there, right? Like Liverpool and and Man Man U and Man City, they are operating on a different level than some you know Crystal Palace or Cardiff or or whatever. And and you know as a fan, I I, I just remember how frustrating it was to be a Oiler fan or a Flames fan and. Late '90s, when you just didn't feel like you can compete with New York and Detroit and Colorado, they buy all the players. But I, I never get that vibe. You never seem to hear to the. We got to get it. You know, we need a salary cap. We need to level the playing field. I never get. Well, that. because there have been. What was the team that won last year? That was thousand to one odds. Oh no, or, a couple of years ago, Leicester. Yeah. yeah, Leicester City. Yeah. So I mean, I, I guess there's enough. That's ex- the exception, though, right? Is it? Oh, yeah. okay. I guess, but I guess there's enough examples of that. That happen where well, it's the, it's the the tournaments again. North American clubs are not into tournaments, but you know they play so many sides, and then there's the one tournament that anybody you know you can play the guys from the Volvo uh, plant, <laughs> right? Everybody gets in, and you can have Div Eight playing you know a Premiership side and things like that. That you know that's always fascinating. To yeah, you. or you know even. I guess on the international side, what uh, European championships was it? Where, where's Iceland when they went on their run right, a couple years right. ago? That was wasn't that the Euro, the Thunderclaw or whatever? Yeah, yeah. but y- it does lend itself to that, right? Mm-hmm. You know, a, a, the head coach is a dentist, right? <laughs> you don't. We, we're very <laughs> no offense we're very to dentists. Pro- no, but we're very protective oh. here. Like I've, uh, you know, I, I give the MLS and, and Canadian soccer a little credit, a lot of credit actually, because they held that Canadian championship where. You know the the Ottawa Furies or whatever could play the Toronto, right. or, You know FC yeah. and things like that. I, I I wish hockey would do that. Like I agree. I, the, the Allen Cup to me, you know, with senior hockey kind of eroding the way it has, the Allen Cup as a Challenge Cup would be very interesting to me. That if you know the Mount Royal University Cougars yeah. could you know take on the Lacombe Generals or whoever, yeah. you know, um, that whole idea of which is so foreign to us, mm-hmm. right? You know, I talked to Brian McGrath, my uh, my friend from the former Flame. He played one year over in in England, and they played in tournaments. Like he said, <laughs> it was fantastic. They went to they went to the mountains in in Spain, and they played a you know a team from Slovenia and a team from Turkey, <laughs> and you know, and they just cleaned up. Like he's like, it's crazy. <laughs> I haven't had this much fun since midget hockey. We're on a road trip and playing in a tournament, but it's so foreign to us, right? Which. I think we're missing out, quite honestly. Well, and as soccer, football, uh, becomes more popular, and I think it's an inevitability, um, perhaps those unique elements that they have figured out transpires into other elements of sport in a North American context. But will it? 
You know what I mean? Like, I, I always get the sense that we're so dependent upon our existence on what we know and the way we've done it. No, I, I do. I think change happens. It may not happen as quickly as perhaps I'm suggesting it will. But I think it will. Um, I, you know, I think if you were to look at the growth of the sport and the changes to, uh, to sport in yeah. 20 years, yeah. uh, I think you would say that the changes have been significant. Um, so maybe not in the next five. No, we're going to see this. But if you look at it over a slightly longer, so could you term see a period, North American League with regula- relegation? Yeah, I could. And I think I think. Do you have a target? Do you have one that? No, but I think I. Well, I think you could do it in a couple of sports. I like. Why couldn't you do it in basketball? Um, the creation of this new uh, Canadian Basketball League. Um, there are other semi-professional professional basketball leagues in the U.S., mm-hmm. although they tend to fall under the auspices the of the NBA. League, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think you could. I think you could do that. Um, I think there would be challenges because the owners of those teams mm-hmm. might have something to say against risking right. whether or not they're willing to do that. And so I, but if I, I think if push came to shove and if you were to blow it up and start from scratch, I think it'd be a possibility. I think it would be getting over the ownership of the teams to agree to it to to kind of put their cards on the table and be willing to take that risk. The one I always wondered about. And I, I, I said it a couple times, and I think people just kind of, that's when they turn off the radio and, and, and dismiss <laughs> it. But I always wondered about the NIT tournament. Yeah. You know, the NIT tournament runs parallel. parallel yeah. And the NIT champion is got a little prestige to it. Not yeah. much, but a little prestige to it. And it gets people. I always wondered if the NHL could take the 14 teams that didn't make and have a second and but have a no no but have a like a, a bracketed tournament as opposed to playoffs you know like you one and done sort of but yeah. you know you take the 14 teams left and and you go you know okay we're going to play for the Mayfair Cup yeah. and you know <laughs> Mayfair. why uh, you know something like that but it just to me, that would fly in the face of convention over here that, you know, we've never done that. Why would we do that? Right? Well, listen, I, so I'm a fan of The Voice. Um, okay. And, you know. Not th- Peter Marr. You're talking about exactly. the television show. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Blake Shelton. Yeah. And, you know, they're constantly coming up with unique and different ways by which people continue to have a second or a third chance of getting back into the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think for the most part, people really like it. They love seeing that opportunity where someone gets voted off the island but then gets invited back yeah. for a second chance. And I, I think that all resonates with all of us, um, the ability to, you know, get back together with a yeah. former loved one or, you know, to reconcile with a former friend or something like that. I think that's a, that's a story that we all uh, understand and can appreciate. And so I don't know. I think, I think you could have all kinds of unique – now, people would, again – just go ballistic because the Detroit Red Wings slightly changed their mm-hmm. logo. And so the traditionalists of the world would perhaps oh, lose their mind. Yeah. yeah. Uh, perhaps not be appreciative of that. But I don't know. I, I think, uh, I think there could be an opportunity to have a backdoor to sneak into a playoffs or something like that somehow. Yeah. And I think it would create, I said, I think the wild card model that they've got in baseball is as good example as any. I mean, people lost their marbles when it was, Move beyond just the four teams. Bob Costas is still mad. Yeah, you know, for for baseball playoffs, I think it's been good for baseball. Um, oh, I I, I definitely, ex- and I think that it. idea of that one game playing opened up so many doors. Yeah. They did it in, in, you know, we talked about March Madness. I think the NHL would definitely look at 
you know, do you take your eight, nine? Yeah. Do they play for television? Loves it. Yeah. Right. In venue would love it. Yeah. It it would be spectacular. Um, okay. So my, I guess I'll leave you with this one. Where, where are we going? Does this, I mean, we're two weeks into a new league, but are we more comfortable now after all the many incarnations of, of different hmm. leagues we've seen, you know, in professional soccer? Is it that they finally found the right elixir? I think so. I say that relatively ignorantly. Um, my sense is that they took their time with this, mm-hmm. that it was not a fly-by-night. It was not a uh, something that they kind of construed and made up, you know, on a paper napkin, that it was well thought out, well planned. They've got solid, you know, kind of a foundation on all seven of the teams. Um, it seems to me anyways, again, from, a, you know, just the social media post that I've seen that, you know, the communities are embracing and, you know, little traditions and uh, like, you know, the the Halifax march to the stadium um, looked fantastic to me. You know, I think I think there's going to take some time for the traditions and the songs and the, you know, the fan clubs to kind of create themselves. But if the other teams are doing what they've done in Calgary and not force feeding it on people and letting it happen organically, then I think they're on the right path. And I, you know, the little that I've seen in the, you know, the, the Tommy wheel, like when I've seen them speak, I, I get the sense that they've got the right people I do too, um, yeah. in the leadership positions and the presentation that you and I were at, um, that sport Calgary hosted a couple of weeks ago with Calvary FC. I was impressed um, with the model, the, you know, the, the price points for tickets. Um, you know, the, I think the fact, you know, how Calvary FC responded so quickly to the challenges of parking um, from day one, and then I was at the second game, and there was not an issue at all. Yeah. And so clearly they listened and they heard from their customers, their stakeholders, what a challenge was, and they responded to it immediately. Uh, so to me, that's a pretty good indication that they've, they're listening, they've got, you know, their ear to the ground and that they've got this figured out. Now, long term, oh, that's, that's a fool's game trying to predict that. But it seems to me that they've done all the right things so far. Biggest challenge for them moving forward is the creation of stars. And that's not a sport that lends itself to you. If you create a good star, they're probably going somewhere else, right? Yeah. And that, you know, it yeah. reminds me a little bit of the CFL. They're going to have to find that way to yeah. create their own stars that aren't necessarily the biggest stars in the sport, right. but are stars within the league. And that's a challenge. Well, I didn't, like interestingly enough, that was the first question that I asked, you know, uh, Taylor, who took me to the game yep. last week, is like, okay, who, are the, who am I watching? Who are the good players that I need to pay attention to on both teams? Yep. Um, and he was able to point out a couple of players. And, but you're right. I think that will attract then the non-traditional fan to because they'll want to go and see specific players. I think if they can position them as, and similar to the way that the Calgary Cannons used to do it with baseball, you know, they, they would make a point of saying, Alex Rodriguez played here yep. Um, yep. You know, a few years ago, mm-hmm. so you're not coming to see him now, but you're going to see the next Alex yeah. Rodriguez. Yeah. Um, and so perhaps that's how they can position it is identifying and recognizing where some of the players from this team go to. And they can then use that as a platform by which to promote the current players. Once again, my friend, even in North American Europe, doesn't matter. We solve nothing. <laughs>